Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. think with you about being chosen. Uh, I remember the first time I uh, felt deeply chosen by someone, and it was my senior year in high school. You may not believe this, but I wasn't extremely popular. I mean, not, I wasn't, I wasn't part of the unclean cast, but I wasn't part of the upper echelons, but some people from the upper echelon needed me to do them a favor. Uh, They were making a float. It was for some like senior project, I don't know. And it was a a float of the the movie Aladdin, and I was supposed to uh, make the head of the blue genie. So I took like cage wire and then put paper mache over it and then painted it blue and drew a face on it. And it looked like uh, like a misshapen sack of potatoes that happened to be blue. It was not good. It was not good. But it doesn't matter. The point is that what affected me wasn't the project, but the people that asked me to participate in it. What was so affecting was these Brahmins, right? These people from a very different strata said, we want you, we choose you. And what happened actually is I got a whole lot of friends. I became their friend and they became my friends and we're still friends to this day uh, because they, for whatever reason, chose me. And that really helped me to know that I didn't have to be alone and I could be loved and I could be cared for by other people. It was very freeing. And I want to think with you about chosenness and how it related to the first 12 disciples and how it relates to you in this very second. And uh, so let's consider the gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 9. You know, by this point in Jesus' life, he was still very, very popular. He was not terribly controversial. And there were throngs of people, like legions of people, that were attracted to him and interested in him and obsessed with him. And they wanted to give ear to what he said, and they wanted to see amazing things. And so he takes this whole group, and then he says, I want some of you to be part of my inner circle. And so he selects these 12 students. Uh, to be his disciples. And, and, uh, and we too, though, are called disciples as well. But we'll get to us in a little bit. But I want to talk about Jesus um, uh, as he chooses these 12 disciples and what ramifications that might have for us. So let me speak about the pursuer, the number, and the misfits. Something about the pursuer. This is verse 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples. He called to himself his 12 disciples. Here's what's remarkable about that. Jesus didn't take applications. Like he didn't make people fill out a lot of paperwork. That sounds ridiculous, but that is what happened for every rabbi in Jesus's day and before Jesus's day. So Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Bar Kokhba, they all had little ashrams and students would essentially apply. And how they would apply is that they would show themselves to be devout and learned. So they had the Torah memorized, they memorized some of the ancient writings of the fathers and mothers, and they, they brought that knowledge to the rabbi and presented themselves. And if they were deemed acceptable through hard work and through being learned, they would be brought into the rabbinic ashram, right? They would be brought into the, to 
the, to the school. And then after 25 years of studying with that rabbi, they might, might be considered part of the rabbi's inner circle and maybe an inheritor of the great teaching and therefore could further the cause of that rabbi. So it took your whole life to be a student of the rabbi and to be in the inner circle. Uh, you might not have ever made it. But what Jesus is doing is, uh, is completely turning that practice on its head. He um, places himself uh, before this crowd and simply chooses uh, these men. He sets the tone of his ministry right from the start as a pursuer, as a loving aggressor, right, who seeks after people. And in this case, seeks after a bunch of misfits to coagulate them into a solid group of people who will be his proclaimers. And what I love about this is that it dovetails beautifully with what Paul says in Romans 3, the darkest chapter of the Bible, in which St. Paul writes, no one seeks for God. Now, that's a very heavy thing to say or to write, but he did write it, and he did mean it. And that means that innately, we like to hide from the light. We like to run away from things that would expose who we really are, at least some of the troubled aspects of who we are. And so we, we shy away from God, and we wear little masks, and we, no, no offense, and we... Uh, <laughs> And we, we duck and cover, right? But the benefit of a Jesus who already knows everything is that he already um, sees behind all of those charades and runs right toward us. We don't seek for God initially, but he seeks for us. He runs after people that are uh, hiding away in the dark. And that's why he says later on in the Gospels, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is why a God is often likened by ancient authors as, uh, to, to a hound, right? The hound of heaven. It's a hunting metaphor that God comes hounding after you before you, uh, the thought ever dawns, the epiphany ever breaks through that you should ever consider you know, things ultimate. No, 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 it was God. It was God. God was the one who sought after you. God was the one who tapped you on the shoulder. God was the one who grabbed you by the shoulders. Um, God was the one who, who began this project. That's why he seeks after lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons. But it begins with God, always the pursuer. The aggressive grace agent is God. And this is um, why Augustine wrote in his uh, book, The Retractions, he wrote this. In Latin, I forget what the Latin is, but it's lovely and poetic. So, huh? But in English, it's still pretty good. And the English is, in loving me, you made me lovely. Now, notice that. He didn't say, I was lovely, so you loved me. No, no, no. It's, in loving me, you made me lovely. But you were the one who took the step. I didn't take the step. You took the step. And that, that evoked love from me. And so that's something about the pursuer. And he called to himself the 12 disciples. Something about the number now. 12 disciples. Now, why does that matter? Well, if you know your Jewish history, it matters a lot because God uh, takes the Hebrew people, right? And based on the 12 sons of Jacob, breaks them up into 12 little conglomerations, right? 12 little groups, 12 tribes, uh, and then governs those tribes individually. Um, but Jesus is very deliberate about the number of his disciples. He didn't choose 73. He didn't choose 144. He chose 12 to be apostles, disciples, his inner circle. What is he doing? He is sending a signal. Jesus does this all the time, by the way. He sends little signals uh, so that those who have ears to hear and eyes to see pick up the data and begin to understand. By choosing 12 disciples, he's essentially saying, I'm making a new Israel. I'm making a new nation. I'm making a new empire. Now, that's what God does with Jacob, right? So God is the one who selects the 12 tribes. Now it's Jesus who centers himself um, around these buttressing 
men who come around him, huddle around him, and he is saying to the world, I'm creating a new empire. Now Israel is not constituted by people who say psalms, say prayers, go to temple, make their pilgrimages. No, no, no. True Israel are those who identify Israel's Messiah. Right, so he's completely reconstructing the whole notion of what Israel looks like and what the new empire of God looks like, what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, and so Jesus is sending a signal here by putting himself in the place of Yahweh over the tribes. He is saying, he's giving you a signal about how he understands his own identity. Remember, when Jesus goes to demonstrate who he is, he's not a battering ram most of the time. He is sometimes, but most of the time he is a poet of seductive sonnets. He is sending you signals to seduce you into acknowledging who he really is, right? This is one of those signals. He over the 12 tribes or he over the 12 disciples creating a new nation. Okay, that's the pursuer. That's the number. And now the misfits. What a group. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's absolutely bizarre. I think it's wrong. I think it's pathological. But, uh, but he's Jesus and I'm not. So I'm glad he made the call. But if I'm to create a team to accomplish a project, right, I want people who are on the same page as me and who I like. I want to be able to go on a road trip with these people and not have a problem. I don't want somebody who's a psycho. I don't want somebody who's emotionally immature. I want somebody, uh, I want somebody who has a tattoo but not a face tattoo. Um, I, 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 um, I, I can't handle... Uh, uh, sort of uh, people who are d d terribly competitive. I don't want people who whine. I want everybody on the same page, same goals, nice people who rest well, sleep when I sleep, wake when I wake, and drink the same coffee I drink. What does Jesus do? WWJD. Uh, not what I would do. Uh, this is th These are his people. I mean, he made the choice. Uh, so there's Peter. He's emotionally schizophrenic. He's hot, he's cold, he's hot, he's cold. There's Thomas. He's acerbically skeptical. There's John. He's a wide-eyed, mysticalist hippie. Uh, there's Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, who's a xenophobe. Can anything good come from Nazareth, is what he said about Jesus. There's James. He believes in ethnic cleansing. Once he didn't have a good run with Samaritans, and he asked Jesus for the permission to kill all of them, right? <laughs> Can you send fire from heaven and just nuke the whole place? They deserve it, after all. There's Matthew, the Benedict Arnold of his culture, betraying his own people so that he can work for Rome so that he can buy a Hummer. There is Simon the Zealot, Simon the Zealot, who joined a Montana militia and lives in a cave with guns. There's Judas Iscariot, who is an embezzling sycophant who betrays the Son of God and has him die. Right? Not a great selection by any standard, by any measure. Goals not accomplished, friends. Not brilliant. Not brilliant. So we have type A people and type B people, lazy people and heroic people, stupid people and brilliant people, and sometimes those are the same people. And what a team. What a team. And yet this is what he does. But this is what he does with us too. It's not just them. What do we have in common in this room? We have some things in common. We, in other areas, we are definitely at odds, right? It's just the nature of being human. It's the nature of being tribal. It's the nature of being uh, raised the way that we were raised. What does he do? Uh, he takes people and gathers them together around himself. People who are certain, 100% certain to disappoint you and says, now you're a family. That's what he says. It's insane. That's what he does. He says, you're now a family huddled around me. And so my question to you is, who drives you crazy? Who rubs you the wrong way in the kingdom of God? Who would you excise from the kingdom if God gave you the keys, the magical golden keys to bind and loose? Who would you kick out? I mean, I don't know. Is it type A driven 
men who are like maniacs who thrive on competition? Is it hair-raisingly intense women? Is it nosy grandmotherly types? Is it opinionated grandfather types? Is it spacey hippies that never actually keep their commitments? Is it uh, hyper-organized people that, um, that have OCD in every area of their lives? Is it mentally ill people that you just can't seem to connect with? Is it people who overdo the COVID thing or underdo the COVID thing? Is it rectors who make you wear masks to church? Is it, uh, uh, right? I don't know. I mean, who is it for you? Is it people that wear MAGA hats? Is it people that burn MAGA hats? I mean, I have no idea, but there's somebody you want to kick out of the kingdom and have strung up, or maybe you're more sanctified. But that was a joke. See, it was a joke from the pulpit. There it is. Um, but I remember when I was thinking about this song, I also thought of 1990s music, which you know is rare for me because I prefer the 80s. But in the 1990s, there was a band named Deep Blue Something that came up with a song called Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was complete garbage based on a garbage movie from 1961. But you may remember the song, in, which is about a couple that is trying to find common ground for their uh, irreconcilable relationship, right? They have a very dramatic, evidently, very, it was the 90s, very dramatic, very um, non-cooperative relationship. And these are the lyrics, which I will now read unto you. I ask that you not sing them, even though you'll be tempted to. You say that we've got nothing in common, no common ground to start from, and that we're falling apart. But I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? She said, yeah, I think I remember the film. And I said, as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's one thing we've got. I want you to think about how stupid that is, just for a second. <laughs> so we've got nothing. It's like headed toward divorce, right? Well, it's, it's all bad. And I hate you and you hate me, but, but we liked a movie. We liked a movie, so that's our common ground, right? Now, that, I don't think the song was meant to be ironic. I think it was just stupid. But the point is that we need a lot more than that. Like If we're going like, to stick together, because we're all disparate, and, and the more we get to know each other, those differences will magnify. Now, one of the things that's really in right now that's driving me crazy is a bunch of people out of their own reactivity and sort of self-atonement. They keep saying, diversity is our strength. I have no idea what they mean, by the way. No idea what they mean. Everybody has a different conception of diversity. And I believe in diversity, but I believe that everybody has to be their own thing, but we also have to be united on some things, right? Like, especially one big thing. So I'm big on diversity, the Book of Acts is big on diversity, but we need a common golden thread that binds us all together, or else we're, all, we're just doing our own pathological things by ourselves, and not cohering at all. What's the golden thread? What is the thing? Well, thank God it's not breakfast at Tiffany's. What binds us together is certainly not our hobbies, our given interests, our skin tones, our politics. Who cares about any of that? What binds us together is an always loving, ever living Jesus Christ who gives his neck and body for notoriously complex sinners and rises again for their free, liberating justification. That is what neutralizes our hostility. That is what brings us back to God. That is what brings us back to each other. Nothing else works. You can try all sorts of new laws and new mores and new sort of slogans on Facebook, and you can, you can um, what's the word, uh, virtue signal all you want about where you are and where you stand and how that makes you legitimate. It's ridiculous. It's garbage. The only thing that connects us is mercy. That's it. Nothing else. And so we can play a lot of games until we discover that that's the only truth. So I invite you to abandon the other games um, because... We need each other as different as we are, and here's why. You, right now, reflect fractals of Jesus Christ that I don't. I see elements of the Christ leaking through you that I don't see in myself. 
and might not ever, and maybe vice versa. Like there's an element of Jesus that you see and Eric and Bryce and Sarah and me and that you can't get from, you know? So in other words, I need you and you need me and we need us because that's how we're formed, like iron sharpening iron. Like as we huddle together around our Christ, you know, all of our diversity, we are unified on who this man is and what this man has done. This is, by the way, how Jesus heals the hell out of us. He needs to heal the hellish power out of us. And he does that through one another as we reflect Christ to one another and he makes us family. So in short, you are chosen. Jesus comes to you and says, I want you with all of that you are. I, I know it, by the way. And I want you. And you are the beloved of God. And you will beautify the world by what God does through you. And I've chosen you. And my choice is definitive. And you'll have to cope with that for the rest of your lives. Amen. They took your life. They could not take your